Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome to episode number eight. Today, we are going to be talking all about word problems. And my oh my, do I dislike word problems. I feel like I hated them as a student. I feel like oftentimes I dislike them as a teacher, as a parent, in every role of my life, word problems just feel awful. And I feel like they are awful, not only for us as adults, but also for our students because they are just so complex. And so in this episode, I would like to share all of these skills, all of the things that go into solving word problems so that we can really see maybe where the breakdown is occurring in some of our kids. And even in a group of five students, what is causing a word problem weakness in one student might be different than another student, which we know, we're special ed teachers, we know that that's how this works. But when we think of how complex it is, that just really, really points to all the potential weaknesses, all of the potential things that we might see in our students. And so we need to be aware of that. And so the first weakness that we might be seeing in our students is language-based. And so if we think back to the previous episode where we talked a lot about receptive and expressive language, we know that kids' ability to understand what we are saying, all of the words that we are speaking, or even the words that they are reading themselves could be very difficult for them to read and comprehend. And so I think providing a read aloud accommodation is a wonderful tool. I think having kids read out loud to themselves, looking at a student and realizing like, well, he's a great reader. Why, you know, I don't think it's reading comprehension. It could be this language piece. And maybe as their brain is interpreting all of that language, it just becomes very difficult for them to even understand what that word problem is saying what information is there, and then they don't even know how to do other steps because they're still working on basic comprehension of what the the word problem says. And so in my mind, and I don't want to make this episode drag on and on and on by sharing the same strategies that I did in the last episode, so I would say go listen to that episode if you have not done so yet, but in my mind, naturally being repetitive, giving students some wait time, trying to do more showing than telling. If we know words are hard, a lot of times as teachers, we say it again, and we say it again, and we say it again. And for some of our kids, that is what they need. Repetition is the source. But then other times, just saying it again, they didn't get it the first time. They don't need you to repeat it. Maybe try showing them. So with some of these word problems, try to do less words and more show. And I think that will help students at least know how to begin and tackle some of our word problems. The next potential weakness is very similarly related and that is vocabulary. So when we think about math, a lot of times we dive in and we're not really considering all of the words that we're saying 
that sound so crazy, so different. They're not something kids are using every single day. Or maybe they are similar similar words like some and difference, but they're used in a totally completely different meaning. And with the example of some, even a different spelling. And so really talking to our kids about what those words mean. And I know that some people do not like keywords when solving math problems, but as a special education teacher, I am a subscriber to the keyword strategy. I'm sorry, don't don't stop listening. You can disagree, but I like keywords. Now, some people dislike keywords because guess what? Not all word problems use keywords. Sometimes a keyword could be misleading, but more times than not, that keyword is going to tell you if you are going to add, subtract, multiply, or divide. And we know that our students are often good with memorization, spiral review, and just doing things over and over and over again. And guess what? I can do keywords over and over and over again. And then maybe you're not going to solve 100% of problems, but you're going to be able to solve a high number of problems through learning what those keywords mean. So I don't think they're gonna solve all problems, but I do think if we're seeing weaknesses in our students with vocabulary, this is a very good solution. Help teach them what some of those words mean. Help use clue words. Help them be able to visualize by understanding some of that vocabulary. So I, I really feel like vocabulary is a big thing that's holding back some of our students. And we have to have some strategies, whether it be a word wall, whether they be keyword cheat sheets, whatever it happens to be, find something that will help our students with vocabulary. For the third potential difficulty that we might see in our students, again, I'm gonna have to reference a previous episode of the podcast. And with that, think back to when we talked about different types of memory. And so when we were learning about memory, we learned that yes, there is short-term and long-term memory. We have our working memory, but there is also sequential memory. And with that type of memory, our students have to remember steps. Even if you think of things that you do every single day, think of cooking your, your child's favorite meal. I know how to make that macaroni and cheese because I have made Kraft macaroni and cheese so many times. I know the steps. I know the sequence. Well, word problems and things in math are often very similar. So students who are struggling with sequential memory will naturally struggle to do things that are very repetitive. Think of oftentimes it's like, okay guys, once you know how to do this three digit by three digit addition and subtraction problem, you can do any three digit by three digit addition and subtraction problem. And while that's true, it may not be true of somebody who struggles with sequential memory. And if we begin to understand and begin to visualize and improve our comprehension of word problems, we might think the same thing. Well, now that we know how to do this, we can do any word problem because now we know how to tell if it's, you know, an addition or a subtraction word problem. We can begin to understand if it needs, you know, if it's a two-step word problem. But that's all assuming that we understand sequential memory or that we have that ability to remember those steps. Some of our students do not. Just like in the episode about sequential memory, I said use cheat sheets. If 
it's not something that you have posted in your room all the time before they begin. Guys, what do we do first? Then what do we do? Then what do we do? And start listing out those steps so that kids can really start to see what is step one? What is step two? After I do that, then what? Then what? So that they can really start to see these steps. And in time, that might become something that transfers over to their long-term memory. Maybe we could use a mnemonic or maybe we could use um, an acronym or something to help us remember that. But in general, list out those steps because some of our students, they might have the vocabulary. They might be really good listeners and have great receptive language skills but then they struggle or the breakdown comes with sequential memory. And so we kind of have to be able to target our students and see where are those weaknesses, where are those strengths, and then what are we going to do about each and every one of those steps in the process? Our fourth potential weakness is something that maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little deep, maybe I'm way off base here, I don't know. But a lot of times our students feel like failures. They feel unsuccessful. Everything I do in this is wrong. Everything I do in my class is wrong. Math is hard. Reading is hard. Oftentimes they have very negative self-talk. And so our weakness here comes in making predictions. So that is our number four potential weakness is making predictions. Now, if you constantly feel like you are a failure, that you're unsuccessful, that you're not smart, that you can't do math, if you have all of this negative self-talk in your mind, do you really think that you are going to be able to make or even be willing to take the risk to make a prediction? More than likely not. Or they might say, well, I think you're gonna add, or well, I think the number's gonna get smaller, or well, I think this but I'm probably not right because I'm not very good at math. So if that is what goes on in your brain, making predictions are going to be very difficult. And so for me, I think it's very important for you as the teacher or you as the leader of that group to be able to say, you know what, I think that this keyword is telling me I'm going to subtract or, you know, I kind of visualized in my head that we were going to take away and then walk through it and get it wrong. And that is really going to tie into something we're going to talk about next or the next potential weakness. But I want you to show successes and failures. We don't get it right every time. Sometimes we solve a problem and then we realize that that answer is not realistic. But we have to make a prediction. We have to start somewhere. And then we learn as we go and we change as we go. And so for some of our students, making a prediction is difficult for them. Their mindset or their thoughts about math or about themselves may be holding them back from even beginning a word problem. And so as their teacher, as somebody that they look up to and they love and they think is so smart and has helped them and they've grown and learned, I want you to show them that sometimes you screw up. I want you to show them that sometimes you make the wrong prediction but guess what? We're not done. We're not unable to solve the problem because we made a wrong prediction. We can go back. And so some of that I think is giving your students a safe space to say, well, I think we're going to add these two numbers and then get to your result and be like, oh man, how did he give some away? But now his number is 30 when he started with 10 or, you know, make sense of it and show them that yes, our prediction was wrong, but now we start to see why. 
Or we might have to ask a friend. I'm not understanding why my prediction wasn't correct. Could you help me see that? Model that for them. Because I guarantee the thoughts that are in their head are not positive. And to see you do it, to see you have a moment of weakness or, uh, you know, modeling failure, I think is good. And then also model success, show them what it means and show them how making a prediction like, oh, I think we're going to add, how does that help kind of guide what I'm doing to arrive at the correct answer? All of that leads us to our next potential weakness. And so I want you to think about that last example where I said, please, please, please show your students failure. Show them that sometimes, you know, Mrs. Wilp screws up too and gets the wrong answer. However, estimation comes into play and being able to make estimations or use our background knowledge to be able to arrive at real answers. So let's say I said we were supposed to subtract two numbers and actually we should have added those two numbers. Whenever I get to the wrong answer, which is not going to make any sense, some of our students don't have the background knowledge to realize that. For example, let's say we're talking about a word problem that involves a movie theater or a bowling alley, a summer vacation, a concert. For many of our students, they have never experienced any of those things. And that word problem automatically is going to be hard for them. When they arrive at an answer, they don't know if that's realistic. They don't know what am I going to do or what would the cost be if I bought concert tickets or if I paid for my bowling shoes and I paid for the bowling to rent the lane. They don't know that. They don't know that you have to do that. And so they might need some additional examples. They might need you to draw a picture. They might need you to tell a, a time that you did that. Maybe you could find a YouTube video to show. Well, first we have to go rent our shoes. And so there's a cost with that. And then we also have to rent our bowling lane or the lane that we're going to use. And that's a cost. So if it costs $15 to rent the lane, and $2 to rent the shoes, how much did I spend altogether? So for some of our students, they can't even put themselves in the situations that your word problems might, might have or might be about. It's also going to be hard for them to make a guesstimate or kind of decide, is that answer realistic? So if I said it's going to cost $400 to go bowling because guess what, I didn't line my numbers up correctly or I just didn't understand how to regroup or whatever, I don't know that it doesn't cost $400. That sounds like a lot of money to me and I've never been bowling and my parents don't have a lot of money. So sure, it's gonna cost $400 to go bowling. So they can't even make good guesstimates. They can't even make good predictions because they may not have some of that background knowledge. Are you beginning to be like, oh my goodness, no wonder my students struggle with word problems. No wonder I struggle with how to tackle word problems. No wonder this student does so well, but this student doesn't do so well. You know, I mean, there are so many factors that are at play here. So definitely be watching your students, be thinking about what are their strengths and weaknesses. Of these four things that I mentioned, and here in a second I'll mention one more, how many of these things 
are players in the game for their struggle with word problems? And then what does each kid need that's going to be different than another student? And that kind of brings me to number five. Math is a pattern. And oftentimes, and I say this to my students, I love this about math in general, I love math because math is always the same. I do the same thing all the time. If you teach me the formula, I can do that math. I don't care how big the numbers, I don't care how small the numbers, I don't care if I have a calculator, I don't care if I'm working on paper. Math is math all the time. Like we do the same thing. And what I love about it is a weakness in a lot of our students with learning disabilities. They do not see patterns in the same way that I or other people see patterns. So the very thing that I love could be the very thing that makes math incredibly hard for some of our students with learning disabilities because their brain just does not interpret those patterns or that repetitiveness in the same way. So be mindful of that. Be thinking about that as you are designing and working with students they may not see things in the same manner or in the same way, or they may not notice those patterns. So you may have to point it out. They may need that list of sequential steps. They might need a color-coded paper with what do we do first? And then what? And then what? Because their brain does not interpret or recognize those patterns. And so I want you to kind of be mindful about that as you think about word problems. I started this episode telling you how much I disliked feared, avoided, um, understood the frustration in my students of word problems. And so if you're feeling the same way, I do want you to take a fresh look at it this year as you watch your students solve word problems. What area are they struggling with? Maybe it's more than one area. And maybe as we're planning and designing and thinking of our instruction, maybe we need to put on our reading comprehension hat for a while. And maybe we need to think about, okay, maybe it's the vocabulary. Well, in reading, don't we start by teaching vocabulary? Don't we stop and say, whoa, 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 what does that word mean? So that we can better understand what the passage is talking about. Maybe we need to slow down and do the same things when it comes to word problems. Next week's episode will be the very end of the math series, and I'll be talking about different instructional techniques. And so what I have done is from every episode, I have shared various things that you could do, different strategies. And so I've tried to kind of put them in categories, and I'm gonna share different categories with you about different instructional techniques that you can do or that you can take to help your students in math. So I will see you next week for our last episode of the math series. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.